Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over this atmosphere that every ear be open, that every heart be open to receive. Come on, can we pray together? Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Can we give Jesus praise as you have a seat this morning? Thank you, Lord. Well, as, as promised, today is not going to be the normal, traditional Mother's Day service or message, as you can probably already tell. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, just open them. Get them handy. Uh, I, we're going to go through Scripture today. We're going we're gonna to bounce around in multiple places. So just get your, if you're taking notes or uh, hopefully you are, have your Bibles, your devices, whatever you use to access the Word, get it handy. I have, uh, I have multiple things I'm referencing, so I'm trying to get everything in place this morning. I, um, have you ever had the Lord speak to you in an unusual way and it caught, you caught your attention, caught you off guard? Maybe that's happened already this morning, but has the Lord ever done that, ever had that experience? Well, uh, the Lord has done that uh, with me over the past couple of weeks, and uh, he's been speaking not just to me, but to our leadership team, and uh, that's why they're all up here, and uh, you can get rid of that radio, you're not going to need it. Um, but uh, I, I, I sense the Lord um, saying something very specific for us today. And I want you to have ears to hear. I want you to receive what the Lord has for us today. Um, and, and before I do that, I'm going to ask, uh, I, I had a volunteer, so if you can go ahead and come on up. Uh, I want to um, illustrate something for you. Some of you, if you've ever done this in school, perhaps... Perhaps you have, maybe you haven't, but come on down here, Andrew. I have a, I have a straight line up here, uh, um, a blue tape. I want you to just come down here, and uh, can you see? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> you, because seeing is very important to this task, okay? So I want you to just walk the straight line. If you could just walk in a straight line down that blue line. All right, let's give it up for Andrew. He just walked in a straight line. It's important. Now, now, the key to being able to do that is having clear vision, right? If you want to be able to walk in a straight line, you, gotta, you have to have vision, you have to have sight, and part of that is the balance and our ears and all the things working together. Now, Andrew, I want you to come back down here, start at the beginning again, and I'm going to give you uh, some wonderful glasses. Can you put those on? Now, what he doesn't know is that he can't really see through these glasses. Did I say that? <laughs> okay. He might know that now. Now, so, <laughs> so I'd like for you to try that again. He didn't do too bad. He didn't do too bad. Let's try it one more time. Let's see. Now, if you, if you can't see, he's not really on the blue line. He's kind of all over the blue line, but the, and not on the blue line and all that, you know. And he's a little wobbly. <laughs> How about you take those off before you hurt yourself? Everybody give it up for Andrew. Thank you. 
Now, what's my point to all that? You can have a seat, thanks. What's my point to all that? Is The point is this. When we allow deception into our lives, it becomes like a fog over our eyes. The, the power of deception is that we can't see the truth that's right in front of our faces. We see that, you know, maybe at one time we used to see the truth. Maybe at one time the line, like the blue masking tape up here, it was clear. You were able to see it. It made sense. It wasn't confusing. It was the word of the Lord for your life. But then all of a sudden, deception creeps in, and it's, it's subtle. Deception never comes in bold face. That's the whole point of deception. It's deceiving. It's, and it comes in little by little, and before you know it, you can't see it's like the blinding glasses over your eyes and you can't see the truth that's right in front of you. And so today, um, let me just kind of set up where we're going. I believe that the Lord wants to move powerfully in our church. Okay, well, we're getting there. I said, I believe the Lord wants to move powerfully in our church. I believe he wants to do incredible things in your life. I believe that he wants to do signs and wonders and miracles in and through your life. I believe that your family members need to be born again and he's working. I believe that he's changing relationships and family dynamics. I believe that 100%. But a lot of times before we see God move in the way that we really expect and want him to move, He's got to deal with the areas of deception. He's got to deal with the lies that we've believed that have crept in, that have kept us from embracing fully what God wants to do in our lives. I'm thankful for our uh, pastoral team. You know, for those that are unfamiliar with maybe our leadership structure here at the church, just to, I, I am so thankful. We have a great pastoral team, ministry team. I love all of our, our team that's up here. Can we give them a... Yeah. And Veronica's nursing, she's in and out nursing new, newborns still, so. Um, but I'm thankful for them. We, and we have our, our board members and uh, great core team, great, you know, love all of them. And then around our leadership team, we have a ministry called Pastors Prayer Partners. And these are people who have committed themselves to pray on a daily basis for our church and our pastoral team and our leadership team. I'm so thankful for those people. We, I have never, I can honestly say this, I have never felt as a pastor more covered in prayer and supported than I do in our church. I mean, I know 100% there are people praying on a regular basis, daily basis for us. And it's powerful. And those people that surround us in prayer, I encourage, I want to see the gifts of the Lord operate in their life, our pastoral team and our, our leadership team, our prayer partners. I want to see God speak to them, uh, prophetic words, visions, dreams, all the things. And I love when he does. We were, uh, I'll just give you a quick example. Some of you may be familiar with this. We were out uh, ministering, and while we were out at another church, we were uh, out, uh, and many of you probably know the, remember the story, we were in Bethalto and near St. Louis ministering at the Church of God there, and before we got there, one of our ministers had a dream 
that God spoke to them about the church that we were going to minister to. And it was a very specific dream, very specific situation. They told me the dream as we were going into the meetings. Literally the day of the meeting starting, I walk into the pastor's office. And he, he said, I'd like to meet with you. We have a few things that are happening in the church. And I just need to share this with you. I need to talk to you. And he begins to share. He doesn't go into all the great details. But he begins to share enough that I understand what's going on. I don't know who the key players are, but I know that they're there. <laughs> they're there in the church, and these are some influential people. And so I told him, I said, let me share with you the dream, because I, I think it aligns perfectly with what you're telling me. So I shared with them the dream that one of our ministers had had. And, he, and it was, per I mean, immediately, we both agreed this was God speaking, that he was going to deal with that situation in these meetings. So buckle up, because God's getting ready to deal. And that's what we thought. Buckle up. God's getting ready to deal with this. Well, we go into the services, and, and Heather and I have no clue who these people are, what, what the, you know, all the things. We just know that God is dealing with three of the leadership. And so we do. We go into the meetings, and God begins one by one. We actually prophesied over the two instigators. We had no idea. They were in the alt at the altar, and we prophesied over the two of them about what God was saying. Had no idea, but God knew. And by the end of the week, we left. That was, uh, I don't know, that was a Wednesday. The services ended on a Wednesday. On Thursday, we stopped by the church to say, hey, we're leaving. And as, as we were walking into the pastor's office, the people who had caused the problems were walking out. Oh boy, <laughs> wonder what's going on. And he said, I got to tell you, he said, God dealt with the issues that were going on in our leadership while y'all were here. He said, you had no idea who it was and what was happening specifically. He said, but God knew. And he said that the people that just left were the people that were instigating the issues. He filled me in, told me what was happening. And he said, they came in and repented, made things right. He said, I didn't have to ask anything, say anything. But God dealt with their heart, and they came in and repented and made things right. So anyway, so I, I love, I value the Lord speaking to our leaders and what God's saying. And uh, he's done that over the past, I would say, two or three weeks. He's been speaking to Heather and I and our pastoral team. And there are times when the Lord will speak something that you just kind of sit on it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Lord says something, you're like... God, what is this about? What are you, where, where is this landing? What are you saying? What are you doing? And so we've just kind of left it there. And then the Lord started elevating that, bringing that up to the front and center. And people, five, five or six different people all had the same word, the same dreams, independently of each other. It was funny because when people started telling me, I feel like the Lord's speaking to me something and I need to tell you, I started chuckling on the inside because I thought, oh boy, here we go again. Matter of fact, one of them came up to us and said, Pastor, it's not nice, but I think you need to hear it. I said, oh, I'm just, I already know. <laughs> just tell me. I already know what it's going to be. I, I've already heard it. And Because, uh, you know, we want God to, we want it to be exciting, and I'm going to move, and, and he wants to. But we have to deal with the deception first and foremost. And so today, we're going we're gonna to take a look at what the Lord's saying, what he's speaking and dive in. I want to give you some examples of what the Bible says about deception. Now, the problem, the problem with deception, now, before I do that, let me say this. Why do I have the pastoral team up here? Uh, and why, why are we all seated here? I'll get to the snake in a little bit, but before, so you just have to look at him a little while longer, but, but why the pastors, 
When the Lord spoke to Moses and he spoke to the apostles in the New Testament, there were many times, matter of fact, one of the, well, let me go give you Moses. Uh, and I'm, I'm speaking from my heart today. So I hope that you sense that this isn't a bunch of prepared sermon notes and, and let me just organize and take you. I am just solely dependent on the Lord as I am every week, but absolutely today uh, to convey to you what he's saying. But um, in the Old Testament with Moses and the Israelites, when there was issues in the camp, Moses would go to the people with the elders, with the 70 elders. Moses would speak on behalf of God with the leaders that God had appointed, that God had chosen for the, for the people. And so that's what we're doing. I'm coming to you today saying, here, we, this is serious business. The Lord has got our attention and we want to come to you today. It's different. This is a different day. And God is shifting something today in our church that's going to propel us forward. There are things that are going to happen in today's service in your life that's going to shift the, the immediately shift where God's taking our church and elevate and escalate uh, what's happening. Amen. So, uh, so that's why they're up here. But uh, so there's the 70 elders is a great example. And then also in the New Testament, we see this uh, in, in Acts uh, 15, when the Jer Jerusalem Council gets together, there is a great debate. If you go and you study this, uh, it's one of my uh, favorite church, uh, how, to, how to manage and run and lead the church stories. That there was a great debate that had risen because the the Holy Spirit was being poured out on the Gentiles. And this was an unusual thing. They were, they were receiving tongues and praying in tongues. And there was, the Bible says that there was not a quiet debate among them. They convened the Jerusalem council and they began to share what God was saying and doing. And the, the leadership, all the, all the church leaders were together, the apostles, and they were trying to figure out what is God doing? This looks completely different than anything that we've experienced before. And so as they were trying to sort through this, um, they, they heard the testimony. And then God began to speak to James, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and James stands up. Peter had given responsibility for the leadership of the Jerusalem church to, to James. And James had stepped up and he begins to prophesy out of Amos, that this, what God was doing with the Gentiles was the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And he prophesied. And we're seeing that prophecy still being fulfilled today in our time. We're a part of that. We're a part of the Gentile nation. And we're seeing the restoration of the tabernacle of David every time we get together. It's happening right in front of us. So that prophecy is still living and active for you and I today. And so that's just another example where the elders and the leadership get together. I love... I love what it says uh, that once James prophesied, they all come together. All the apostles say it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> that there was a clear leadership of the Holy Spirit, even in the middle of uh, the great debate of is this God and what is happening? We know it's God because it's tongues, but what is happening? And, and trying to figure this out. And they say it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. And so today, you're, it's going to seem good to you and the Holy Ghost. God's moving uh, in our church. And like I said, I am expecting great things in the days ahead. Today is a shifting point for where God is taking us. Amen. Deception 
What is, what is deception? Let's identify what we're talking about to make it clear. Deception is lying, misleading, hiding, and distorting by denying, omitting, fabricating, minimizing, or exaggerating. So deception, let me say that again. Deception is lying, misleading, hiding, distorting by denying, omitting, fabricating, minimizing, or exaggerating. One of the silly examples that I'm sure we've all done, we're all guilty of deception on various levels, but one of the, one of the great examples of that is ever, anyone ever had someone make something for you, some great food item that they've spent a lot of time on and they bring it to you or you're at dinner at their house and they serve it up and what's the question they always ask? How do you like it? I forget what it was. When we first moved here, different folks were trying to make us Cajun stuff, you know, trying to mimic. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. It's just, just not. How do you like it? Oh, it's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was the best I've ever had. <laughs> and in the back of your mind, you're like, where's the trash bag? <laughs> Winston, the dog, won't even eat this. <laughs> right? Don't look at me like you're so religious. You've done it. You've done it. That's deception. Right? We've done that. It's deception. It's one of the way it's deception, right? We lie. We mislead. We fabricate or exaggerate. And we say things like this, I know that I have. Oh, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not... It's not that bad. And what's funny about that is we tell our kids that a lie is a lie. And they'll say things like, that was just a little lie. It, was just a, it wasn't that bad. And we try to teach our kids, well, that's still a lie. And yet we don't follow our own truth, right? It's not that bad. Well, the Lord, as he's been dealing with things uh, and revealing things in our church and situations, I have found myself saying, well, Lord, it's not that bad. As the Lord has put his finger on various situations and things in the church, I've responded as pastor. I've responded and said, well, Lord, it's not that bad. I mean, it's, I mean, they're learning. They're learning. You know, you make excuses for the people you love, right? Well, they're learning. And the Lord just keeps dealing. And, he's, and finally to the point where he says to me, it is bad. And he began to take me through scripture. And so I'm saying to you as your pastor, as I'm presenting this today, I'm presenting from a place of repentance and saying, when the Lord deals with things, it starts with me. It starts with his leader. It starts with his shepherd. And so it starts today, begins with me. And when he says, you're going to deal with this, guess what? I have to repent. I have to lead in repentance and say, Lord, then here we go. Let's, let's belly up to the table. Let's, get, let's find ourselves at the altar. Let's find, let's, I'm going to find myself once again offering myself as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, forgive me. Let's deal with it. Let's go with this. And uh, so that's where we're at today. Let me give you some examples of deception, though, and how the enemy works. 
And uh, I, I don't want to focus in on the whole, the whole day on, around deception because the great news is, is that God gives us a place of healing. There's a, the reason that he points any of this out to us today and the reason he shared the things that he has shared is it's important to him because he's trying to take us somewhere. And so he's trying to get us to live in the place of intimacy with him. He's trying to get us into a place of, of new understanding, new depths with him. He's trying to change out the old wineskins and get us into new places. But in order to do that, we have to let go of some of the old things, the deception, the lies, and things that need to be dealt with. Okay? So you ready? Okay, half of you are. The other half are going to catch up. In Genesis... Chapter 3, we find one of the first examples, well, the first, not one, it is, the first example of deception, where the Adam and Eve are, are in the garden. They're enjoying the presence of the Lord. They're walking with Him. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect, except the lies of the enemy. And the enemy does not come in with this blatant, bold scheme. He never does. A lot of times when we look at church, and, and this is part of my response, well, God, it's not that big of a deal, is it? it we, we think of church problems as this massive issue, something major, some gross moral issue, or some major issue in the church. And that's not necessarily what the Lord is dealing with. He's just... Dealing with the little deception, the little lies that produce something much greater. And that was what happened in the garden is that Eve is hanging out by the very tree that she was told not to be by. Don't eat of it. But where is she? Where's Adam? They're hanging out in the very place that God warned them about. Isn't that just like us? Is that we'll say, well, God, it's, it's, not, it's not that bad. It's just a tree. It looks beautiful. The fruit is very appealing. I'm not going to eat it, though. But it looks really appealing. And what happens? James 1, 14 and 15 tells us the life cycle of sin. And we see it displayed here with Adam and Eve. The first thing is that there was desire. There was a desire. Eve was hanging out in the place of desire. For you, maybe, maybe it's not eating fruit off the forbidden tree, but... Maybe for you, it's, it's drinking, or maybe for you, it's, it's uh, getting lost in success and earthly successes. Whatever the issue is, we hang out in the place of desire, where our desires are enticed. And there's always going to be someone or something that will entice your desires. There's always going to be a snake in the tree. There's always going to be a serpent that will agree with you. There's always going to be... Here's a, here's a fun fact about life. There's always going to be someone who will tell you what you can't do. And there's always going to be someone who tells you the things you shouldn't do, you should do. Right? And so you have to learn from the very outset whose voice are you going to listen to. Are you going to listen to the person that's always going to tell you what you can't do and the person who's always going to tell you what you shouldn't do but you should be doing? Or are you going to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice? Are you going to listen to the truth that God's given to you? 
And so desire goes from, from the, the desires to enticement. There's the voice saying, you, you can do this. And then it conceives. Sin is conceived. And she acts, Eve acts out, and she shares in sin with her husband. And it's, it moves from there into birth. It matures and then gives, brings forth death. The cycle, the life cycle of sin is the, is the same cycle, this life cycle of deception. It starts off with a very simple issue of your desires. Today, in just a moment, I'm going to read from Numbers 21, and that hints the snake. But in Numbers 21, we find the example of the, the children of Israel. They had, they had just won a great victory. They were on their way to the promised land. They had a, gu a gushing rock full of water. Everywhere they went, this rock followed them and was providing them water. God was sending manna from heaven. I mean, things, I mean, they're wandering in the desert, but for, the, for their rebellion, this was a pretty good deal. The reason they were in the, in the wilderness was because of their own rebellious issues. But God was still taking care of them in their own rebellion. But they grew weary. The Bible says in Numbers 21 that they grew weary. So as we read this later, I want you to keep that in, your back, in the back of your mind. This was an issue of their desires. They wanted, they wanted it to be easy. They wanted life to just be smooth sailing. Let's go back to Egypt. They were living in a dream world. They were living in this idea that Egypt was easy. Do you remember the story about Egypt? They were slaves for 400 years. They were being beaten to the point of death and murdered under the Pharaoh's rule. Egypt was not easy. But they were living in a dream world based on their desires for everything to be smooth sailing. So keep that in the back of your mind when we get there. It's another great example of how deception works. Another, another Bible example of deception and, and how misleading, hiding, distorting happens. We find, and, and this is a good one too, to, to draw out about rebellious nature, is Miriam and Aaron. In Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron decide. Now, now remember, Miriam is, is Moses' sister. Aaron is, you know... <laughs> he's supposed to have his back. He's supposed to have Moses' back. Right? This is family. He's supposed to, have, supposed to have his back. But what do they do? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the woman he married. They didn't like the woman he married. That was the issue. The issue was the person he married, and they started talking evil about Moses. And here's God's response in Numbers 12.10. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. God took rebellion serious. He took this rebellious nature, and that's really what the heart of deception is. It's rebellion to the truth. It's rebellion to what God says. And, and he begins to deal with the rebellious nature in Miriam and in Aaron. All they did wasn't that big of a deal, right? We just don't like the woman he married. 
Pastor, we just don't like the clothes you're, you got on today. Pastor, we don't like how you, what you spoke last week. Or, Pastor, we don't like how you handled that situation. Or, pa- Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. It wasn't that big of a deal. Pastor, I don't like your sermon. I don't like how you're preaching on the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Spirit, tongues is gone. We don't talk about tongues today. We don't believe in tongues. I got the Holy Spirit when I got born again. It's dangerous to talk about the Holy Spirit, by the way. And then there was Korah. Korah is another one. They're out, they, they, leave, they, they leave Egypt. Korah, you know, is... <laughs> I lo- this, again, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal until it is. Because it's, God has a problem with deception and rebellion. And so Korah gets together his, his little tribe of people. He's got a big old group of people and he's, he's saying to them, Hey, why is it Moses and Aaron, why are they leading? I mean, you hear from God. I hear from God. Why do we need them? And they begin to minimize the role of the shepherd in their life. They begin to minimize God's called gift to their life. And they, well, we hear from God. We don't need our pastor. We hear from God. We don't need a leader in our life. We, we've got this. And it's rebellion Korah is one of the earliest examples of rebellion to the local church. It's the very same thing, that God had raised up his people. He was was making for himself a called out people. And he had appointed Moses and Aaron as as the high priest over these people, as the pastors, as the shepherds over these people. And they had 70 elders. It was the... It was the earliest example of the local church, of what God was going to do in the New Testament. And Korah leads a rebellion against the local church. He says, well, we hear from God. We do it. We've got this figured out. We don't need the local church. We don't need the pastor. We don't need the leadership. We do, we do it just as well. And try to function outside. If you go back and, and I, you should read this. You should study this in number 16. Because it's exactly, I'm not lying to you. I wouldn't do that. I'm preaching on deception. I'm giving you the truth this morning. <laughs> they're, trying, they're trying to lead a rebellion against what God, we've got this, we're good. And listen, I, I know that there are, there are great people that, that hear from the Lord and probably even here at celebration that hear from the Lord are used of God can, and, and God uses their ministries. I mean, I, I, we can talk about tons of people in our own personal lives who are, who are uh, ministers that are not, they're not pastors, but they, they're not local church pastors, but they have ministries, either as missionaries or evangelists. We're bringing in the cruises next week. They're not local church pastors. They were at one time, but now they travel, they're evangelists. There is a place for that, but it's always under the covering of the local church. That's how God operates. That's how he functions. Outside of that, you're living in a place of danger. And that's what Korah found himself in, is that he was trying to function outside of the leadership that God had put in place. Could he hear from God? Could God use him? And all the things, sure. But you know how God decided to deal with it? 
Let's have a look. So in Numbers 16, it's scary. In Numbers 16, this is scary. In Numbers 16, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all of their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Their whole families, their wives, their children, and their babies. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. Wow, that's pretty bold. If they just die the normal death, then God has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. God meant business. Say, well, pastor, that's an Old Testament example. Well, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Flip over to Acts chapter 5. Same problem. God deals with it the same way. And a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession... And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell, fell down and breathed his last. He died. <laughs> and then three hours later, his wife comes in. Verse 7. Not knowing what had happened. And Peter said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. 
that was a great day at church. <laughs> what happened in your service? Somebody died. And then his wife came in three hours later and she died. <laughs> See, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira was the same issue, that they, it was a rebellion against what God was doing in his church. If you go back into Acts chapter 2, 42, 43, 44, they had all committed together together. They had committed to support one another. They, com they committed to sell their possessions. And the Bible says that they sold all of their belongings and all had shared in common so that there would be no one in need. Remember? And so they had committed to do this. They had committed to be a part of the local church, to be part of the body of Christ and what he was doing and to share all that they had. And what they do? They sold land in, in an effort to be a part of this, but then they held back a certain piece of the money. And we don't even know how much it was. It could have been, comparatively speaking, out of $100, it could have been a dollar. We don't know. It's, that's, that's not, it's not consequential to the story. It's inconsequential. It's, the point is that they held it back and lied about it when they had committed to be a part you see, your commitment to the local church, your commitment to what God is doing is so important. You're not just showing up and just not another person in a pew. Your commitment, your part to the house of the Lord and to this body is so valuable. It is so important. So much so that God says, I will guard it to the death. I will guard it to the death. I will guard the, the church and those committed to my house, to my people. And he does. It's his, his work in the church is so important. We don't take this lightly. We don't take what he does in our house lightly. It's so important. Another example of deception and rebellion. How many of you remember in Isaiah 6... When the Bible says in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And, and Uzziah was one of the kings, right, that, uh, during Isaiah's time. Let me tell you a little bit about Uzziah. This is so important. Uzziah, was he started off being a king that followed after God. He did what was right in the eyes of God, but his wealth and his fame grew. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that his wealth and his fame grew. He became so well known. He, was, he had armies and he had fashioned weapons of war and built cities. And he was a leading, he was a leading king in his day. He was revered. He was admired. He had, he had wealth and info, all the things. And it went to his head. Pride, deception crept in. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud. If we're not careful, again, it goes back to the desires of our heart. If we're not careful, when he was strong... He grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He was a king, not a priest. This was not his responsibility. God took this very serious. He had stepped outside of his role and his responsibility as king in his pride. Deception crept in. In verse 17, it says, Azariah the priest went in after him, 
with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Can you imagine? This is uh, Azariah along with 80 priests are standing at the altar, looking him in the face, saying, Uzziah, you have crossed a line. God has mercy on you right now. Leave. Step out of this place. Step out of this place or God will judge you. And what does he do? Uzziah got angry. In verse 19, he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, he hadn't even offered incense. He just picked up the he just had picked up the, the censer and grew angry holding the censer. Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Here was a man who had great success, great leadership. And it all ended in a moment when he began to be deceptive and rebellious to the things of the Lord. God dealt with him. And the Bible even says that it, it created an atmosphere. If you... Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord. Heather's been talking about this. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. There was no vision of, of the Lord high and lifted up until Uzziah died. There was a spiritual atmosphere created by the, the disobedience, the rebellion that was happening in Uzziah's life that the people couldn't see the Lord. But when he died... Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord high and lift up. It was a new season. It was a new season. Let me take you over to Numbers 21. Maybe you've had enough already. Let me just keep going. In Numbers 21, the king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Therim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah, or means destruction. So they major victory that the king of Arad had literally taken Israelite prisoners and the Israelites said no no that's not how we work God if you give us them if you will give us this nation we will destroy them and and God said I've given them to you so they destroyed them they they took them out and they got their prisoners so now they've had this great victory in verse 4 of Numbers 21 then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged along the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. 
Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So let me just set the stage. They've had an incredible, incredible victory. God is just before this. God spoke to Moses to speak to the rock. If you remember at at Meribeth, he didn't just speak to the rock. He struck it. And actually, that's another great example of rebellion to God because Moses wasn't able to enter the promised land as a result of not acting in faith when God said to him, speak to the rock. Moses got mad and struck it. And so God said, Moses, as a result, you've been rebellious. You can't go into the promised land. You'll only see it from afar. But God still had mercy, and the rock followed them everywhere they went. Paul tells us in the New Testament that that was, a, that was Christ, that that was a picture of Christ. Everywhere we go, the rock follows us. Christ follows us everywhere we go, and he's gushing rivers of living water. And that's, that's what followed the Israelites. They have gushing divine rivers of living water. This isn't the water that comes out of the spring down the road. This is heavenly divine water. This rock that impossible for it to contain water like this is gushing supernatural water. These Israelites are drinking supernatural water everywhere they go, and yet they're complaining that they don't have water. You've got the best water on earth following you, and you're griping about it. And then they start fussing about eating angel's food. I mean, they're literally eating manna from heaven. This is angel food. They're eating it. Eating angel's food. This isn't just, this isn't just a good steak you're going to go eat today for Mother's Day. This is angel's food. And we're talking about a good meal. I'm sure it had different, I mean, I like to think it has different flavors. And if I wanted it to be a steak, it could have been a steak. You know, who knows? But I mean, this is what they're feasting on. And we despise this worthless bread. Wow. Yikes. And so they, the Bible says that they spoke against God and against Moses. The word that says they spoke, it was as if they were declaring an oracle. They were they were speaking. They were make. They were drawing their line in the sand. They were making a stance against God and against Moses and what God was doing. And what happens? God lifts His supernatural protection. So that verse six, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So these snakes, this this part. Let me tell you a little bit about the snakes. The snakes where they're at in this part of the, uh, of the country are viper snakes. And these viper snakes are extremely poisonous. The science on these snakes tells us that one bite can kill six humans. That they release in one bite 70 mg's, milligrams of venom, and it only takes five milligrams to kill an adult. So these these snakes that are biting them within 60 minutes, within an hour, you would be dead. There was no anti-venom that hadn't been created yet. And they looked like fiery snakes. They would rub their body together and it would sound like sizzling, sound like a fire sizzle. 
and they would, the, they would hide. These snakes are, are great at hiding in the rocks. You wouldn't see them, but they're very aggressive. So when you come into their territory, they will attack, and they mean business. And so what happened is they're walking through this land, and the Lord lifts his protection, and these snakes start biting these people. And immediately their bodies go into a neurological shutdown. Immediately their bodies start shutting down. They're unable to move. They're unable to use their muscles. They're unable to, uh, to see clearly. Every part of their body starts bleeding. Their eyes start bleeding. Their mouths start bleeding. Their ears start bleeding. Everything starts shutting down. And it's a nasty, horrific death. All because they complained against God and against Moses. Deception set in. Deception set in and rebellion was the result. All, and it goes all the way back, their desire, they grew weary. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a sin for them to grow weary. It wasn't wrong for them to be wearied in the journey. But how do you respond when you grow weary? Do you blame God? Do you blame the people that he's placed in your life? Do you judge God and his leadership in your life? Or rebel against it? Do you allow deception to creep into your heart? That's what happened to the Israelites. And so, Moses, they, <laughs> they cry out to Moses, Moses, we're so sorry, we, we complained about you, we're so sorry. We know we, co we complained about you, we complained about the bread, we complained about the water, we're so sorry. But people are dying, can you do something about this? I have to tell you, if I was Moses, I said, tough on you. You should have kept your mouth shut. <laughs> you should have just learned to like the manna and the water. I am done dealing with you three million Israelites. Lord, do you have any other animals that can bite them? Let's, let's just keep this going. Let's wipe them out. That wasn't Moses' response. By the way, the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man. So he cries out to the Lord on behalf of the people. He says, God, would you have mercy? And so God speaks to Moses and says, take a snake. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, you mean the ones that are biting all of the people and they're dying in an hour? One of those snakes? Make it of bronze and put it up on the thing. What was destroying people, what was killing people, now was rendered powerless on a pole. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, like Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him. That was what Jesus was talking about. He, Moses saw it as a snake. The people saw it as a means of healing. But what God saw was a prophecy of what was to come. What God saw was this is a temporary fix for a long-term issue. And I'm going to eventually send a long-term solution for this. Yeah. 
It's called redemption. The issue of the people's heart was not anything new to the nature of humanity. It was a sin issue. It was a deceptive sin issue. It was a rebellious sin issue. And God said, I'll deal with it once and for all at the cross. For now, we'll have a snake on a pole. But eventually, I'm going to deal with it at the cross. And that's what Jesus said. Just like Moses lifted up the snake, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want you to picture with me millions of Israelites, three million. And many of them, the Bible says, we don't know how many, but many of them are getting bit and they're dying. Bloody, neurological mess. I mean, just you can imagine one of the worst, painful, the skin begins to decay in the place that you're bit. It begins to swell and decay immediately. Horrible death. But in the middle of that, Moses begins to send out word. If you will look at the snake, if you can just get your eyes on the snake, you will be healed. You have under an hour, just get your eyes on the snake. And here you have people, friends, family members, carrying their loved ones just to get a glimpse of the snake. They're dying. They can't walk. They can't move. They have their, their muscles are atrophied. They can't get where they need to go. And their eyes are glassing over. Blood is pouring out their eyes, their nose, their mouth, their ears. And their friends are literally trying to carry them just so that they can get a glimpse of the snake. So that they can be healed. One moment was all it took. It didn't take, they didn't, there was no long term. You didn't have to look at the snake for 10 minutes and then say seven Hail Marys and then do the sign of the cross and then do so many. Just look at the snake and you'll be healed. Just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. If I be lifted up, just look at Jesus. How do you know if you're dealing with deception? Just look at Jesus. How do you know if you believe the lie? Just look at Jesus. How do you deal with the issue of rebellion in your heart? Look at Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way. You see, the problem is, I've been told before, well, can't you just, and I've been told this a lot, well, can't you just tell someone they're, they're in deception? Can't you just have a conversation with them and just tell them they're, in, they're being deceived or they're in rebellion because of a deception? Can't you just talk to them? No. It's blinding. It's blinding. You can't see. You don't know. But it leads to destruction every time. And so the only way that I or anyone can help you today is to say to look at Jesus. It's the only thing. There's no prescription. There's no Hail Mary. There's no formula. You have to look at Jesus. You have to get your eyes on Jesus. 
Get your eyes off man. Our tendency is to look, well, I have a problem with that pastor. Or I like this person because they're charismatic. Or I like this person because they, they teach. Get your eyes off of man. It's not about the person. It's not even about the ministry. What you need to know about that person or that ministry is, do they look like Jesus? Do they point to Jesus? Does their doctrine align with the word? Don't follow a personality. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. Maybe you've had enough. But I'll keep going. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us that the one who is devious will eventually be exposed. Today the Lord is capturing your attention and, and hopefully that you'll look at Jesus today. And the problem is that if you don't, it will be exposed. James 1 and 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can hear the word. You can sit in church every week. Service after service. Serve on a serve team. Be in a care group. And still be in deception. Because it's about you and what you do, not about being a doer of the word. It's what makes you comfortable, what helps you feel successful. What, whatever the gap is, fill that in. But when you're not doing the word, you're deceiving yourselves. And listen, you can be, people can tell you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it. People can tell you the word says a lot. And you can do what they tell you the word says. People do it all the time. I love Catholics. But saying saying ten Hail Marys is not going to get you to heaven. And dropping a coin in the coffer is not going to spring your family member out of purgatory. That's not in the Bible. And that's not how it works. And I I know I'm picking on the Catholics. But let's, let's pick on the Pentecostals. Come on now. My wife just said, you can name it and claim it all day. That's a good, that's a good Pentecostal one. You can name it and claim it all day. And you're, and that's not the Bible. You can put a picture of your Ferrari on your front door. Walk by it every day and high-five the picture of your Ferrari and say, in Jesus' name, you're mine. And all you're doing is wasting your breath on, on vain imaginations. You want to know why you're going to get a Ferrari someday? Because you put yourself in debt to get a Ferrari because all you can think about is your own vain imaginations. But if you could think about what you could do with tithing and giving and sowing into the ministry, let me think about how I can outdo my brothers and sisters with honor. Then God might drop a Ferrari in your lap. Just telling you like it is. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. (laughs) That came out. I don't know where that came out from. 
I'll speak the truth. Let me just keep giving you scripture. Let's, uh, in case you, just in case you think I'm lying to you this morning, I'm going to keep giving you scripture. Second Peter two one says false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you like Peter said it here. There was false prophets before. There will be false teachers today. And they'll be among you. They're probably someone sitting right next to you today. Listen, Peter addresses this. This is good Bible stuff. I think you need to know this. This is important. Because I'm telling you, it's only going to get worse. shared it. Did Pastor Grace, somebody posted in one of our ministers text messages the new way to pray for people. You know, you know, the new the new the new way to pray for people. You line them, you line them up, they gotta lay down, and then you toot on their faces, and and the toots will heal them. No, it's happened in Africa. It's really happening. I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. This is a real deal in a church service in Africa. And the... I am not lying. False teachers will come in among you. Hey, Dustin, I think we should try this out next Sunday. We'll line everybody up for Joy Fest. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> People have lost their minds. And that, I realize that's an extreme. I realize that that is an extreme. But anybody that teaches any doctrine or any gospel that is not Jesus first, it's not about God, it's not about Him, it does not exalt Him, and it's not a message of love, it does not align with Scripture. It's false if it does not. So Peter's saying there was false prophets. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So these aren't people that are coming in to, to church that are, hey, let me tell you about my heresy I'm going to teach you. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about, that's not even how the... That's not how the devil worked in the garden. Let me tell you about the lie I'm going to tell you right now. Eve, are you ready for the lie? Let me tell you about the lie. That's not how they operate. It's secretly bringing in destructive practices. Secretly. Scheming. Even denying the master who bought them. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Jeremiah 9.6 says, In their deceit they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. This is always a great indicator. How do you know if, if someone is in deception and rebellion? This is, a you know, outside of some of the obvious. <laughs> Here's another obvious. It's self-reliant. Deception 
Rebellion is always about self. It's always exalting self. And it can start off simple. It can start off very simple, very, you know, I mean, again, it's not, here's the lie. Secret deception, secret practices. It is always exalting self. They refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. We think about acknowledging God as, you know, are they, are they dancing at the altar? Are they shouting out the name of Jesus? Do they, do they put Jesus on their, you know, on their teaching? Hey, listen, I got news for you. The devil said, did God say? He talked about God. And false teachers will talk about Jesus. And it will carry the name of Jesus. And it will look like ministry. It will smell like ministry. It will look, look good. But does it exalt Jesus? Does it exalt who is getting the glory? Who is getting the glory? That's the question you have to ask. Who is getting the glory? Is it God or is it man? Proverbs 14.8 The folly of the fool is deception. Destruction comes on the deceived. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There you go. Paul wrote it again. Right there. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy. These are the tradition philosophy, the traditions of man. The traditions of man. Name it, claim it. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, that is, it's bondage. Let me just, just speak very plainly. The, the philosophies of man will put you in bondage 100% of the time. I have been liberated in Christ, not put back into bondage. The devil always used to tell you how you had to live and what you had to say and what you had to do. The devil would try to tell and it was all based on your sinful, rebellious things, right? You got to do this and you're going to enjoy this. And, but in God, you've been liberated. If you're busy check, checking box, did I do this? Did I do that? Well, I can't, I can't do that, and I can't do that. You need to back yourself up and check. Am I, am I living according to the philosophies of man? Or am I been liberated in Christ? You know, let me give you another example. I know, don't get mad at me. Well, I can't drink. Because I go to church, and I can't drink. And it becomes a law for you. I gotta check the box. I just can't. I can't drink alcohol. I'm, I'm, you know. I can I tell you. I don't have to check any boxes when it comes to drinking alcohol. I don't. I don't need when it comes to the the sinful things of the world. I don't need to check boxes. Did I do that? Did I not do that? I can't do that. I, I've got. I don't want to. I I'm drinking of something that's much greater than any alcohol could offer. I am drinking of something of Jesus that is much richer, much purer than any of the pleasures of this world. So, I am not in bondage. So, oh, you're one of those who don't drink. 
I am one of those that don't drink. But it is not because I'm checking a box. It's because Jesus has set me free. It's because Jesus has set me free. That's why I don't drink. I got something better. So if you find yourself having to check boxes, ask yourself, is this about man or is this about God? And the, uh, it says, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions mm-hmm. and the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Gosh, I, I have so many examples of this. I feel like I've heard as of late where, where who, oh my goodness. I feel like I'm already out on the diving board, so why not jump? <laughs> So, one of the, this is elemental spiritual forces in Christianese. One of the, let me, let me share, the, share this with you. One of the elemental spiritual, you're de- what you're really dealing with is new age, but it's dressed up in Christian lingo. Okay, so that's common. But one of the ways that we do this in the church is we, we tell people, um, and I, I'm not saying that this is happening here. I'm just, this is an example. This, so there's, when, I, when, I, when I saw the Tootin man, I had to just start looking at all the weird doctrines. <laughs> and I, not that I spent a long time there, but I was like, is this really our, what kind of world are we living in? And so I'm, I, like, I, am in, I am lost in a church that doesn't deal with all this stuff. We're, we're in love with Jesus. So anyway, so one of them, that I hear often, it's a new age thing. Oh, healing is in you. <laughs> healing is in you. Amen. Now let me, let me explain to you. Is Jesus, let me give you the Bible of that. Is Jesus on the inside of you? Yes. Is Jesus the healer? Okay, yes. there you go. That's where that rests. Mm-hmm. But, if so, but if someone starts telling you that you are a healer, I ain't no healer. I know someone who lives on the inside of me that is a healer. And he's given me authority. That's how healing operates. But if, if someone tells you and demands that you're... Listen. Kick it out the door. It's heresy. You say, well, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. It's deception. It's deception, and it sounds good. It tickles our ears. It makes us feel, oh, I got healing on the inside of me. You do. I've got Jesus flowing through my veins. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. He's quickening my body. Yes, yes, I believe that. I know that. You see how simple, see how simple of a twist of the truth it sounds good, but it's new age. You got seven eyes on you too, if you, depending if you dance around in new age. And you got to line all the eyes and do all the things. It's all the same philosophy. It's out, of the, it's out of the same book. But we take those things because they sound good. But listen, friend, they've got to exalt Jesus. If Jesus is not exalted, if Jesus is not glorified, there is a problem. 
I had someone tell me one time, and, I, and I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus if you want me to. I had someone tell me one time, well, you talk about the Holy Spirit too much. You need to talk about Jesus. They were taking this a little, you know, outside of the parameters there of what Bible says. Like, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same person. <laughs> they are not in odds. They're all God. We're not in odds. Jesus' ministry is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so we're not at odds there, right? Talk about God. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the Holy Spirit. You're glorifying God, right? But if it's not doing that, there's a problem. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me give you another one. I'm just going to keep going. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While evildoers, verse 13, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. So this is another, this is another indicator. They start off simple, just simple little twists, little, little heresies. But it, it goes from bad to worse. It always progresses. Evildoers and apostles will go from bad from worse. And of course, it's also not just a progression, but also the reality of the worsening, the increased number of imposters will grow. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for Celebration Church, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to I share something with you, and I'm going to be bold enough to do this. If someone is teaching you something that is contrary to what you hear preached in this pulpit, you need to question it. That's what, that's what Paul told Timothy very plainly. You have known me. You have known what I teach. You know my life. And if it's anything contrary, if it doesn't exalt Jesus, I'm giving you, the, I'm giving you Jesus. What Paul's saying is, I'm, I've given you Christ. I've labored among you. You know me. You know my life. And if you have others that are outside, that are teaching you something contrary to what I've ta taught you, you need to ask questions. You need to be aware of that. And I, I want to tell you, I am bold enough to say that we preach and teach and experience the Bible. Amen. I don't want anything but the Bible. I don't want anything but Jesus. That doesn't mean that there's that, you know, televangelists, other ministries aren't aren't good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I, I love and we need the gifts that God's given to the body. But we've <laughs> I I've we've had people come in that have preached contrary to the word of God and we've shut it down. And they, you're right, they have not been back. We will watch, we guard the house, we guard what's pretty. So if you're listening to things on TV or wherever that's contrary to the word of God, contrary to what we're teaching and preaching, you need to ask questions. You need to dig some, dig some Bible time in there and explore it. Galatians 3. coming so I'll wrap this up because I want to I want to make sure she has a chance to share um, I, I don't think this is going to be round two I don't think it's going to be round two <laughs> so if you're if you're like pastor it's Mother's Day and the clock I, we're aware but this is important 
Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. And this I'm gonna, I want you to hear. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Deception. I want to just highlight a couple of quick things about deception that we've learned here. It's blinding like a fog. It fogs your eyes. You can't see clearly. And because you can't see clearly, you don't understand why, but you start being spiritually apathetic. It's like, you're, it's like trying to walk through the muddy, murky waters, and, and you don't even know that you're in the muddy, murky waters, but you find yourself spiritually apathetic and out of tune. That's an indicator that you might have deception and rebellion going on in your heart. Deception and rebellion appeals to the things that we know to be true, but it's mixed with manipulation and lies. It sounds like truth. It, it has the tendency of truth, but it comes out mixed with manipulation and lies. Deception always leads down a path of destruction. It's, it's always leading to destruction. It's disorienting. It seems like it's the truth. It seems like it's good. But when you get into it, it's disorienting and confusing. For example, the name and claim it. Well, I've been naming it and claiming it, and I'm still sick, and I still don't have this, and I still don't have that. And then somebody tells you, well, you don't have enough faith. You have sin in your heart and all the things. Come on now. Don't shout me down and tell you the truth. Either God is the healer or he ain't, right? And it doesn't, I'll stay off of that. So anyway, we start down these, it sounds good. My point is, is that those things sound good. They sound, name and claim it sounds good and it appeals to us. But then when you get lost in it, you start having to ask yourself questions because the doctrine doesn't add up. One plus one doesn't equal two. It's not biblical. It doesn't add up. It's not sound. What is sound is that our sovereign God sits in the heavens and he rules over all things by the word of his power. And he is a healer and he is able to glorify himself whether you have physical manifestation of that in this life or not. Plain and simple, period. End of story. Doesn't get any easier than that. Okay, I'm glad you like that. So let's keep going. It is like witchcraft, rebellion, deception. It's witchcraft, and it causes you to rebel against God's truth and his authority. And, and witchcraft, deception, it's, it's mesmerizing. It's fascinating. Ooh, ah, kids are attracted to it. Ooh, ah, right? And we are too. It, sound, it looks, sounds mesmerizing, appealing. It's fascinating. Oftentimes, people who are deceptive are very charismatic. They have great charisma, great people skills, and they know how to draw you in, suck you in, and make you feel like they're, you're their best friend, and everything's great. And it's, it's that charisma personality. I'm not saying everyone like, please don't leave this and think, being skeptical of everyone. That's not, that's not the intention. But I, I'm, sh I'm turning the light on is what I'm doing this morning. I'm just turning the light on. 
And always deception shifts from God's work in us to man's work. Always. So I hope today, my hope is that the light has been turned on. I'm not, this isn't, my intention is not to bring judgment or cast negativity on anyone or anything. It's literally to flip the light switch on and say, what's the Lord saying? Good job, Pastor. So I was not going to share, um, and then that righteous anger came up, and I was like, Rawr! I can't, I can't sit as, as mama, and some of you may not like that, but God's called me as your mama. I am Pastor Mama to you. Um, but I would start with Galatians 3, 1 that says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And I would say, Oh, silly, silly, silly ones, you who began in the Spirit. How? How do we try to make it in our works now? Why? And the word of the Lord would be to return to our first love. Return to our first love. You know, when all of this began weeks ago, I, oh man, I began, we all began going to the Lord. And that's the beauty of this team. That's the beauty of this leadership, the five-fold ministry, the governing authority ordained by Jesus Christ for his church is that this people, did, we did not go into a place of judgment, into a place of works, into a place of, you know, confidence. We began to weep. We began to weep. We began to question God for ourselves, began to question God for where we are. God, where are we? Search me. Know me. Help me. That's the posture, right, of the redeemed. That's the posture of his children is search me. Not of, I don't do that. I'm good. Hey, I'm good. Let's just go to lunch, man. But it's the, it's the recognizing of God, you're speaking. And I don't need to be right. I need to be restored. I need to be in unity with what Jesus is doing in my people. And you and us, we're all our people. We're the people of celebration. And it's a place, right, of unity and beauty. So again, forgive me because I was not going to share. So I have it written in the back of my notes. So the Second Timothy 3, <clears throat> starting in verse 3. Did I write it correct? Nope. Nope, that's okay. First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. I love this. It says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among you. And then let's take a look really quick at Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. 
And this is Jesus. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And these two scriptures go hand in hand with what Pastor was talking about a few minutes ago. And at the end of the day, Jesus himself ordained five-fold ministry, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, right? As the governing authority over the church. Some of you are not going to like this, still don't like it, but I'm still going to tell you the truth. Not to lord over you, right? But to equip you for the work of the ministry. This is why parachurch ministries must be underneath the covering of a church. If you are following a parachurch ministry that is not under the covering of the church, it's in error. And that's just truth. If you want to go out on your own and do something, that needs to be under the covering of the church. To have the hand and the blessing of the Lord. Why? Because you can go out and you can rub people's back all day long about how wonderful and beautiful and perfect and anointed you are. But until you get under a shepherd who is going to shepherd and look after your soul, you're in a place of danger. You have no accountability, right? And so I am so thankful for a shepherd. We might pastor together, right? We lead together, but I'm so thankful that he's my shepherd and that he's here today shepherding our souls. Come on. You don't get that in parachurch. They let you do whatever you want to do just so that you keep going to their thing. That's what I think about it. You got mama. So lastly, let's go to John 15, 8. I know. Y'all okay? Are you learning? <laughs> Did I write this one wrong again? Thank you, Jesus. I, I'm telling y'all, I'm getting old. My eyes don't see the same. John 15, 8. It is in, verse 5, it is in chapter 15. It's 16.8. Jesus says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I want to encourage all of us today that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. Romans 5, 5 says it's the love of God poured out in our hearts. And so when you and I are convicted, when you and I are rubbed the wrong way, I want to encourage you to lean into it. Whatever pastor spoke today that rubbed you a little wrong, lean into it. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job, not pastor's job, not my job, but Holy Spirit's job to lead us to a place of repentance, to lead us into a place of conviction. And that's a good thing. That means we're alive in Christ. That means we're children of the Most High God. And thank God for his conviction that keeps us, right, in perfect peace with him. And so I'm going to end on this. Um, oh, that's the scripture I had found, but it's okay. 
I am going to end on that quote, that thought, though. And the reason I had lost it and what caused me to get all hot and angry inside, it's a holy, holy righteousness, a holy anger, is when Pastor brought up the whole thing out there with all healing is in you. And some of you were with him up until that moment. And the Lord reminded me of tickling ears. You want to find that scripture for me? Somebody, Pastor Angie, find that scripture. Oh, you already got it. For the time, well, that's when you know we're in sync with the Holy Ghost. It's in 2 Timothy, in case you wanted to know, chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside into fables. But you be watchful in all things. And, and really the tickling ears is a part of the deception. And, and there, there's some, maybe not even in here today, maybe in here today, when pastor started saying that, the thought crept in. But you just don't understand yet, pastor. You just don't get. And I want to say, who has bewitched you, you foolish people? For Jesus anointed and appointed some to be prophets and pastors and apostles and teachers and evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You don't get, look, that is, that is itching your ears to make you feel good. Period. You don't get to, to claim new doctrine that all of a sudden you get it and everybody else doesn't. Your own words can never trump Christ. Christ died on the cross. Christ paid his blood for you and I. His body was beaten for our healings. Healing is not in you. Jesus is in us. The very blood that was spilt on the cross is in us. It flows through our veins. We go back to Christ and him crucified. Anything that does not point us to Jesus Christ is false doctrine. And so the next time anybody wants to say, hmm, you just don't get it yet, pastor. I want to invite you, precious little one, to come and sit in my office and have a talk. I don't have to, I don't have to prove myself, and neither does he. But I guarantee you, you're going to sing a different tune when you sit in the anointed seat and have to make claim for what you believe. Why can I say it? Because I've seen it time and time again. Time and time again, people, you know where false doctrines have come from? From people that have had a revelation or an encounter and decided that that was it and they were one up on everybody else and made it into something that it was never meant to be. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was raised from the dead and sits at the throne of God forevermore. He's enough for me. And that's all I'm ever going to give you. And I pray he's enough for you.
because he's pretty cool. Why don't you stand with me? I told you today was going to be a different day. Happy Mother's Day. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus.